Welcome to Be With Champions, I'm your host Greg Bennett and today I had a delightful conversation with Dr. Ara Sapaya. Dr. Sapaya describes his journey from a small Malaysian town just a few hours from Kuala Lumpur to becoming the most respected functional sports medicine physician in the world, working with the biggest names in golf and tennis. His journey and his story is just truly inspiring. We discuss nutrition and exploring ancestral health. We discuss supplements, sleep, hot and cold therapies, and breathing techniques. I, I was blown away by this conversation and so many great takeaways from health and performance. Now, some housekeeping before we go on. If you're enjoying the show, please share and help it grow. You'd be really helping me out there. Uh, please also just give me your feedback. Uh, you can do that on social media, on Instagram, I'm Greg Bennett World, or on Twitter, I'm Greg Bennett One, or Facebook, you can find me on Greg Bennett. Um, you can also go to Apple Podcast or whatever podcast it is and just give me a review or, or comments there. I do read those and do appreciate it. And finally, you can get all the show notes, the timestamps, uh, the links and the sponsors, coupons, uh, at bennettendurance.com forward slash media. That's bennettendurance.com forward slash media. Thanks for listening. And remember, success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. If you're enjoying the show, you can support by supporting the show's sponsors. All of these products I'm using regularly. You see, these past few months, I've become even more conscious about my metabolic health, my nutrition, supplementation, movement, sleep and recovery, and, and social interaction. And I found the support for my metabolic health with these sponsors, Athletic Greens, Hyper Ice, and Continua G. Athletic Greens is a green drink sourced from whole foods that actually tastes great. It's delivered straight to your door. And it's highly absorbable powder, which takes seconds to mix with water. So there's no clumpiness to deal with. It's developed from a complex blend of 75 vitamins and minerals. It's packed with aptogens for recovery and probiotics and digestive enzymes for gut health. And vitamin C and zinc citrate for immune support. So Athletic Greens is designed to help fill the nutritional gaps in your diet. It's NSF certified for sport, no harmful chemicals, no GMOs, and no funny additives. Honestly, I can't recommend Athletic Greens enough. Whether you're looking to boost your energy levels, support your immune system, or address gut health, now's the perfect time to try Athletic Greens for yourself. A number of my guests that I've had on the show take Athletic Greens regularly, including Timothy O'Donnell, Marinda Carfrey, Tim Don, and Sebastian Kinley, amongst others. There's a great offer going on now for you to give it a try. Simply go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg to claim our special offer of 20 free daily travel packets with your first purchase a $79 added value, and get Athletic Greens delivered straight to your door. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. Now, with two kids and a business to run, time is limited. In the past, when I was a professional athlete with no kids, I'd line up the massages throughout the week to help with recovery and those niggling injuries. But now, I only use the various recovery tools from Hyperice. They work, they're easy to use, and they're time efficient. My go-to is the Hypervolt, the world's most powerful percussion massage device featuring quiet glide technology. Their vibrating foam rollers, thermal technology, and Normatec compression systems help you warm up faster, recover quicker, and simply move better. With Christmas fast approaching, yes, it's almost here, Hyperize products make the perfect gift for anybody in your life that you want to help support, get them, and keep them moving. Get $50 off all percussion devices now. No code needed and get an additional 10% off with code GREG10 at hyperice.com. That's hyperice.com. H-Y-P-E-R-I-C-E. 
greg.com and use code greg10 for 10% off. Finally, you're not going to believe this, but I have a new sponsor that doesn't sell anything. They just want to educate. It's called theglutathionreporter.com. That's theglutathionreporter.com. You can find them in my show notes. Why are they doing this? Well, it appears that medical doctors, scientists, college professors are sticklers for accurate information. <laughs> and instead of complaining or getting into Twitter battles, these guys just build a website to reach out and teach people everything you want to know about glutathione. The reason I'm interested, and this is important, is that most consumers are wasting time and money on dietary supplements that don't work. And the best way to prevent this is to do your homework, form your own opinion, and make more informed decisions. So go to theglutathionreporter.com. All right, today's guest went from scrubbing floors in Burger King to becoming one of the world's most sought-after experts in functional sports medicine. He's the chief medical analyst on the NBC Sports Golf Channel. He's a highly sought-after personal physician on the PGA and LPGA Tour. He's a practicing ER physician, and he's the chief wellness officer for Florida Emergency. He's an inspiring speaker where he shares his personal keys to success, which he defines as living life on your own terms, a life by design, not default. And I love this one. You don't have to live forever. You just have to live. I'm honored to have one of the great minds of the world of health, well-being, and performance on the show. So welcome and thank you for joining me on Be With Champions, Dr. Ara Sapaya. How are you, mate? I'm good, mate. Thanks for, the, thanks for that uh, pretty impressive uh, introduction. <laughs> You're more than welcome. I, look, today I, I want to discuss you know, nutrition, supplementation, med- mental strategies, sleep, physical training, all of that kind of stuff. But before we do, would you mind just winding the clock back and, and sharing how you got to where you are, which is in- incredibly impressive, by the way. <laughs> um, thank you. Um, well, how far back do you want me to go? Let's go. Let's go to the beginning. I I, I think your story is quite remarkable in one sense, and I think uh, it's in it's very inspiring in its own its own way. So I think let's uh, take us right back. Okay. So uh, so born in Malaysia in a tiny little place called Klang, a town in, in, uh, in uh, it's about, the capital of Malaysia is Kuala Lumpur, so people might be more aware of that, and it's about, uh, I would say, 45 minutes to an hour away from there, uh, closer to the coast. Um, grew up, you know, just just uh, my brother, myself, and my sister, uh, mom and dad. My dad, unfortunately, we lost him in a car accident. Uh, he passed away when I was five years old. And, uh, you know, growing up, I grew up, uh, so my, my mom has a large extended family, my uncles and aunties, and there was like seven of them. So I grew up with them pretty much, you know, mm-hmm. they almost saw me as another sibling rather than a, rather than a nephew. And my uncles were all athletes. They all were, uh, you know, you know, field hockey, they were field hockey players. Mm-hmm. They played badminton, they were track and field runners. And so I grew up. Sports was just not something that we ever, it wasn't sports. It was just life, you know. We just mm. were out playing all the time. And uh, just, you know, I grew up playing a variety of sports. Soccer, I played in goal, I played uh, badminton. Uh, and then I started playing tennis, actually. Uh, I got hurt playing uh, football or soccer. And my mom was like, okay, you're not doing that anymore. So... Uh, discovered tennis when I was uh, nine years old and then became very, very good at it very quickly. Um, and then, you know, I, uh, I, t- 
to keep my mom happy, I had to keep my grades up in school. Otherwise, uh, she would take my tennis rackets away. So that was a, <laughs> that was a deal I had with my mom. You know, and usually, like in Malaysia, the before the big exams came, like the yearly exams, she would lock my rackets away for like two months. And so all I could do was keep fit until I finished the exams. And the day it finished, I would get my rackets and I'll start playing again. You know. Um, <laughs> So, you know, thanks to her, I, I was a pretty good student. And, uh, yeah, you know, just uh, when I was 17, I really wanted to turn pro, uh, play tennis for a living. And, you know, I got the grades. I'd got a place to study medicine in, in England, uh, in Liverpool University. Uh, but I, I just didn't couldn't afford it, you know. Mm. So, literally, within, you know, three weeks before university was about to begin, and I had a spot. We had no money. And so I was playing in my, my tennis club one day. And, and this guy who who's known, he's a member there, he's pretty pretty well off, kind of said, you know, is what do you want to do? And we had a conversation. And he, he said, hey, you know, <clears throat> go turn pro. And I was like, well, you know, it's not that easy because you need money to travel and compete and all this kind of stuff. And he's like, no, I'll sponsor you. Go play for five years. Whatever money you keep, you make, you keep, and you know, just wear my logo on, on your shoulder and be, you know, become pro. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> this was like a dream, right? Uh, and within, and you know, I, I was like, okay, let me figure out how to tell my mom this. Because my mom, you know, like tennis wasn't a job, right? She wanted security. She was like, she'd always say to me, what happens if you hurt your arm? Mm. And I'd be like, well, why would I just wake up one day and hurt my arm? And she was like, well, what happens if you did? And then you won't be able to, you know, survive or stuff like that, you know. But anyway, so I was thinking, okay, you know what? Let me wait till it's closer to like the three weeks are up, university starts, I can't go. That's that's the end of that. And then I'll tell her I'm going to turn pro, you know. And uh, lo and behold, two weeks before that, we get a, a like a scholarship. <laughs> It all, it all happened at once. <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm not going. And my mom was like, yes, you are. And, you know, the uh, the person we who made, was the decider was my tennis coach. And he's like, listen, Ara, you're too short. And here's a guy that my whole life said, you know, I could do whatever I set my mind to. And all of a sudden, he's like, what do you want to be? What do you want to do? You know, turn pro and do what? And I was like, I want to play Wimbledon. You know, I want to, I want to, I want to be, you know, like, be the first Malaysian to play at Wimbledon and he was like no you're too short you're too small you know those those guys are so much bigger and faster you're never gonna get there and I was so mad at him mm-hmm. you know and so off I got off I went to England to medical school didn't know a single soul there uh like even my first night there it was just such a joke it was just I had I didn't know anybody there uh you know i grew up in you know in a home that you know there was no alcohol we never drank like it just wasn't wasn't banned or anything we just never drank mm-hmm. and my my fear was oh my god i got to go to england i got to drink beer i've never <laughs> drunk beer what's going to happen like all this craziness was going through my head but i had no time to prepare and then i get to england and uh you know the scholarship paid for my li- my my fees but no living expenses, right? And, you know, like I said, my dad passed away. So it was only my mom. She got, you know, my brother and my sister. And we don't have much money. So my first year there was really such a struggle. I There were many. I mean, I had enough. 
I would have money to buy one bag of chips, like the English fish and chips. Just the mm. no fish, just the just the chips. <laughs> at at the end of the day, and I like you, you figure out you know how to survive, you know. So I would go to the fish and chip shop right before they closed, so that way whatever extra they had, they would give it to me instead of throwing it away, you know. Mm. I'd do that, and then just struggle all the way through. I didn't have money for books. I would study in the bookstore, in the in the medical bookstore, uh, sometimes a library, and just. It was just really difficult, man. The, the food was bland. The people were bigger than me. You know, the culture was different. The weather was just a whole different thing. Like, I come from Malaysia. It's sunny all year long. You know, all of a sudden, I go there. I remember when I was applying for my student visa, uh, the lady goes, do you have any questions? And I said, uh, uh, yeah, what's, uh, what's England like? And she kind of looked at me. She was, you know, she was English. And she said, um, it's pretty gray. And I was thinking, what does that mean? Great. Like, how? That's a color. How? What? Mate, as soon as I arrived in England, <laughs> the moment I arrived in Heathrow, I knew what gray meant. <laughs> it was gray. Oh, my God. So it was a lot of getting used to, you know. And my first year was, was a real struggle. And, you know, I just even, even university, just I wasn't. I guess I just wasn't mature enough, you know, prepared mm-hmm. enough. Like I studied really hard and in my, my first winter there, there was like a, like a mini exam and I finished bottom third of my class. You know, I, mm-hmm. it was just such a struggle. And part of me just wanted to like, just say enough is enough and just leave, you know? And I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this for five years. And then one day I, just, you know, it was a, it was a Sunday and I just needed some kind of inspiration or something, you know, and I, I stumbled upon a book. It was a book by Norman Vincent Peale and it was called The Power of Positive Thinking, right? I'd actually gone to the bookstore and I asked the guy there and I was like, hey, do you have any books? Like I didn't know personal development wasn't a genre then. So I hadn't, like, I just asked him for something for inspiration, you know, and he kind of said, go to the poetry section. I didn't, didn't see, didn't see anything there. And I just <laughs> stumbled upon this book. Yeah. Honestly, I was in the poetry section looking at all these books and I'm like, well, none of these poems rhyme and be there. All like, I, this is not what I want. <laughs> and, uh, and I stumbled upon this book and I read it and I couldn't put it down. So I read like half of it. And then the Monday I finished lectures. I run to the bookstore again, I read a little bit more, and then I hide it, I, I hit the book so no one else would get it. And then the next day I went back and I finished the book in, in three days. Hmm. And, you know, I realized that things were in my control, really, that, that I could control, you know. That, that I couldn't control the weather, couldn't control the food. I, I mean, and I was complaining about all the things I had no control over, you know. Hmm. So... Very soon, I decided, okay, you know what? Here's the thing. I can control my mindset. So I said, you know, complaining is not going to help. Like, it does, it's not going to get any better. So just stop complaining. Stop the whining. Stop the bitching. Just stop complaining, okay? Mm-hmm. It's not going to get any better. And just, you know, just embrace it for what it is. And then secondly, I decided, you know, yeah, there's a lot of people around me were way smarter than me, you know? But there was no reason for anybody to outwork me. 
Mm-hmm. That was in my control, right? So if someone studied five hours, I could study six hours. Mm. If someone read the book once, I could read it twice. You know, and so it really changed my mindset. And I went from a struggling student my first year, like really barely making it, to to you know ending up in my second year winning the medal in anatomy as one of the mm. highest scores uh, wow. in of my year. And during that time, it's it's just so interesting, right? Right. When you change one thing, and you just look at the world in a different lens, everything kind of works itself out because you're not complaining, you're not just seeing all the negative stuff. All of a sudden, you know, for months I would I went around looking for a job, I could never get a job. All of a sudden, I got a job at Burger King. Mm. I had been there many times asking them for a job, and they never would allow me to get a job, but. Suddenly, there was a new manager, and he was like, "Hey, yeah, yeah, you know, you need a, you know, foreign student. You have to get a work permit, you know." And he said, "I'm willing to apply, do my part, but you got to go get it." And I found a lecturer who'd fill up, you know, part of the application form, and just managed to convince the person at the work permit place to give me a work permit, you know. Got it, and then got a job, which meant I had money to, to, to survive and pay rent. Um, and Burger King was a place where, you know, there was food. So at least the days I worked there, I didn't have to worry about food and just things started falling in place. And it really came down to just uh, a shift in, in the mindset and just developing an ethic, uh, a work ethic that just like, you know, just couldn't be stopped. Mm. And, and I, once I got the medal in anatomy, I was like, okay, if I can do this, what else can I do? You know, how, how much harder can I go? How much, you know? And so I really, you know, got through medical school was, you know, all my friends still tease me till today. I had my own spot in the, in the library in the, in the medical school because that's practically where I lived. You know, in medical school, you, you would either find me in the gym, in the library, or in lectures, or in Burger King. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> I never went on dates. I didn't go out. I... I had no money for anything else. And that's all I did for best part of four years after that. So I graduated medical school. And then, um, then you know, I, I trained as a surgeon. Uh, I wanted to be a cardiac surgeon. Um, and then I, I, I passed my boards in, a, in, a, in surgery and did cardiac surgery, but didn't like it. And during that time, in my surgical training, I uh, was exposed to emergency medicine and never in my life through medical school, I ever thought I'll ever work in the emergency room. And even my first day there, I looked at it and it was like all the shift work and night shifts. And I was thinking, oh my God, I'm just going to use this time to pass my surgical board, you know. But I just loved it. Just fell in love with the, with the specialty because, you know, I like variety. I like to problem solve. I don't like the same thing over and over again. I've never mm-hmm. been that guy. And so here was a specialty that, you know, you never knew what was coming through the door. Someone could be in labor, about to deliver a baby. A baby could just be born. Or you could have a 100-year-old person who's, you know, got pneumonia and everything in between, you know. Mm. So so after I did cardiac surgery, I realized, you know, it was kind of not what I thought it was going to be. And, and I was like, you know, I want to change so I, I shifted to emergency medicine, retrained in emergency medicine. And during that time, I was, uh, I, I remember this day so vividly. Um, it, I was working in, uh, in London and it was a really busy day. 
and I was working in one end of the ER. Uh, you know, the ER is divided. Like you, you'll see, you know, the strokes, the the accidents, the heart attacks, and the really major stuff in one area. And then you'll see, you know, the ankle sprain, the toothache, the medication refills, the easy ones in another area, right? Yeah. So I was working in the busy section, and the, the other area was getting really bombarded. So the nurse comes up to me and she says, "Hey, can you help out my side?" And I was like, "Man," I said, "All right, j- just go line up like ten really quick cases for me, and I'll come see them real quick." So she said, "Okay." So, you know, off I go, and I see most of them pretty quick. And then this one chart I pick up, it was ankle sprain. The x-ray was already done. So I look at the x-ray even before I see the patient. And, you know, x-ray looked pretty normal. Nothing was broken. So I was like, all right. So I go in there, and I was a young kid, you know, talk to him real quick, examine him, and said, yeah, you know, you have a, you have a, you have a ankle sprain. And gave him the usual stuff. You know, you need to ice it, elevate it, compress it, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as I was leaving, he goes, hey, doc, he goes, when, when can I play tennis again? <laughs> and I was, and so I look at him, right? And I said, are you any good? And he goes, yeah, I'm one of the top juniors in the country. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> and so I said, uh, well, do you not have access to like physios or anything? You're that good? And he's like, no, I'm in university and it's, it's, we're off for winter. And when I go back, I'm going to be competing. So uh, the, 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 the university physios are not there right now because the university is closed. And you know, Greg, there's a there's rule number one in medicine. If you don't know the answer to something, you just say six, four to six weeks and you just leave. <laughs> okay. So... So I look at him and I go, uh, you know, just maybe like, you know, give it something, you know, just for probably four to six weeks before you can play again, you know. And then and I just walked out of that room real fast and I was like, oh, my God. And when I was walking home that day, it really bothered me. Hmm. It bothered me because I had no idea what the answer was for this guy. And here I was, like, it, it also perplexed me. You know, I'm a good student. I've been trained in surgery. I'm a pretty, you know, advanced trainee in emergency medicine now. And how come I didn't know the answer to such a simple question? Mm. And so the next day I go, you know, my boss is working. So I, I tell, him this, tell him what happened. And I said, you know, I, I should know how to manage that better than just, you know, that kind of answer, you know. And he goes, yeah, but, you know, it, it doesn't matter. And I was like, what do you mean it doesn't matter? He goes, well, no one's going to die of an ankle sprain, you know? Oh and I was like, yeah, but an ankle sprain to him is like having a heart attack. Hmm. And my boss, you know, kind of said, well, you know, if you really want to learn that kind of stuff, go study sports medicine. Now, again, sports medicine was not something that I was familiar with in medical school. So I was like, what's sports medicine? So I, I looked it up. This was, you know, there was a time, you know, people are hearing this. Just don't fall off your chair. There was a time called BG, which was before Google. Okay. And so you couldn't go Google anything. And so I was like, what sports medicine? You know, I, I came, went to the library again, and did like a search and I realized, oh, wow, you know, I could like, I could go study this on my own time, you know, and so I, I studied sports medicine my own time and uh, and got my uh, degree from uh, the Royal College of Surgeons of Edinburgh. 
And during that time, I uh, contracted a deadly disease called golf. <laughs> it was so bad. I was, you know, I can say it now after many years of rehab, I, I am and was a golf addict. Yeah. I mean, I would play golf all day long if I could, you know, and just addicted to the game, to like trying to master the swing. And so I decided I want to study back pain in golfers. So I wrote to the European tour multiple times. And eventually one day they said, all right, you can come and talk to them on a, on a, on a Tuesday, but you've got to be out of there by Tuesday afternoon. And that's how, that's how my sports medicine career started. I first went there. Nobody would talk to me, you know, but I'd, I'd hang around, hang around, hang around. I'd, I'd fly and drive to venues on my own time, on, on, on dime. And eventually, you know, someone like Sergio Garcia spoke to me and asked me about something. Ian Poulter mm-hmm. spoke to me and asked me about something. And then, you know, I guess people, you know, at that, you know, when athletes are at that level, as you know, you know, there's a lot of people who want to know you and get to know you and they always want something, right? So mm-hmm. athletes of high caliber athletes are very cautious about new new faces and new people. But eventually they see you enough and they're like, you know, I remember I remember Sergio going to me. So, are you like a like a real doctor? <laughs> and I said, "Yeah, yeah, dude. I work in a hospital. I got a stethoscope and everything. <laughs> I got a stethoscope yeah. and everything." And uh, and he goes, "No, no. I'm just asking because I I didn't know if you were like one of those science PhD guys." And uh-huh. I said, "No, no. I'm I'm a real physician. You know, and uh, and you know that's how things started. And the interesting thing was, here I am trained in." surgery you know emergency medicine sports medicine and and you know i was thinking i'll be dealing with you know tendonitis and overuse and all this kind of stuff and you know the top three questions i got asked when when the athletes got familiar with me Hmm. why am i tired all the time why are my allergies so bad what can i do for them and how do I overcome jet lag? I got to fly to China, play there, you know, but I get there on a Monday and I got to compete on Thursday. I'm still jet lagged. Like, is there a quick way of fixing this? And uh, all my training didn't prepare me to answer those questions adequately because I would run blood work on some of those athletes and everything would come back normal. And I'd be like, hey, everything was normal. And they'd be like, well, why do I feel this way? You know? And mm-hmm. fortunately for me, during that time, I, 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 was, I was also a doctor at like... Um, with the uh, with the cycling team that trained in uh, in Manchester in the velodrome, mm. so the Team GB team would train there, and when they have events, I'd be there. And I got met somebody there, and he was a bit a very old, much older gentleman who'd come in every now and again. And when he showed up, everybody would huddle around him. You know, he was a bit like Yoda, <laughs> you know. And then he'll just disappear real fast. So one day I see him. And I ran after him as he was leaving. And I said, hey, can I just pick your brains? Like, when an athlete's tired and, and you know, all the blood work are normal, like, why, wh- what do you think? Like, why would they be tired? And he, like, he didn't even stop. He just carried on w- walking. And he just looked at me and he says, you know, could be the adrenals, you know. They could have adrenal fatigue or something, you know. And just say, look into that and just walked off. Yeah. And this was before functional medicine was a thing. And I was thinking what's adrenal fatigue? So I, I come home and again, this is PG, before Google. You couldn't just Google all these things. So I was like, did a literature search in the, in the library, found one paper from the 1970s that described something along the lines of adrenal fatigue. 
So we filled up this card, send it off. Three weeks later, I get the paper. I still have that paper somewhere, the original paper that started it all. And I uh, read about adrenal stuff, and I was like, what is this? Like, I never came across this in medical school, you know? And so I asked one of my buddies who, was, uh, who, who went to medical school with me, and he was an endocrinologist, and I said, hey, what's, what's adrenal fatigue? And he, he was like, no, no, come on. He said, That's, you sh- you're smarter than that. You shouldn't be asking a question like that. Because how can you have adrenal fatigue? You don't get kidney fatigue. You don't get liver fatigue. Why would you, you know, you don't get thyroid fatigue. Why would you get adrenal fatigue, you know? And so I was like, yeah, that makes sense, you know, I guess. Yeah. And I was like, okay. But something inside me was like, well, the fact that there was a paper, the fact that this guy mentioned it, just something didn't sit right with me by ignoring it. So one day, and, you know, in Malaysia growing up, I was very used to like herbal medicine, Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, you know. My grandmother would do all sorts of concoctions when he was sick. So one day I was walking by this Chinese store, my Chinese medicine store, and I, I walked in and I said, uh, hey, do you have anything for like adrenals? And the guy was like, uh, adrenal, no, like low chi? And I was like, uh, yeah, whatever. I, mean, low chi. Yeah, I have no <laughs> idea what that means, but yeah. Anything, for, do you have anything for the adrenals? And he takes out this jar and like says, you know, He's explaining to me, I don't didn't speak the language, but I kind of understood between us that you could take all these different things and turn it into a drink, boil it, make it into a tonic, and you could support, like, have support the adrenals, you know? Mm. And the one thing I knew for a fact, Greg, was Chinese medicine was 5,000 years ago, uh, 5,000 years old, and if it didn't work, it wouldn't have survived 5,000 years. Agreed. Right? Mm-hmm. Anything that can survive five times, name me one drug, (laughs) name me one drug that's more than 300 years old in in allopathic medicine. You can't name it. You probably couldn't name one. Aspirin is about 100 years old. That's it. And that's still one of the best drugs known. All the other drugs, they come in the scene and then, you know, 20 years later, you find complications, blah, blah, blah. Like very few drugs, aspirin, penicillin, that, that they're around. But Chinese medicine is five thousand years old and it's still being practiced now which tells you that it's got to work right otherwise it would have been you wouldn't you wouldn't be passed down generation mm-hmm. after generation after generation so so then i started looking into it a little bit more you know and then i found more papers and i realized there was a whole side to practicing medicine that i wasn't taught in medical school and rightfully so because in medical school we emphasize in pathology we, we study pharmacology, right? Because that's, you know, people give us doctors a hard time and say, oh, you don't spend enough time studying nutrition. Hmm. No, we, that's because we study pathology and pharmacology. If you were to study nutrition on top of that, it'll, it'll, it'll take us 20 years to graduate medical school, <laughs> you know? So we are very skilled in doing one thing really well, which is to diagnose a disease and then control symptoms through medication. And that's what allopathic medicine teaches you to do. If you want to practice medicine differently, you have to go learn that. And that's what I did. So I read a ton of books, you know, eventually found my way and got formally trained in functional medicine and uh, acupuncture in Hamilton University under Dr. Alejandro. Um, Studied Ayurvedic medicine. Uh, 
you know, just open to a lot of ideas, not just being put in a box and say you're an MD and that's what you need to do. And so from there, you know, more and more athletes started, I could help more and more athletes, work started getting around. And then, you know, just been blessed over the years to work with some of the biggest names in golf. And then now in tennis as well, I work with a bunch of athletes. And then, you know, through a company called Oracle that has me as the, the chief medical officer, we get exposed to like blood work, to a lot of the NBA teams and a lot of track and field athletes. And, and yeah, so that's what I do. I still work in the emergency room five days uh, a month at least, uh, training residents there. And then, yeah. So I put all of that together now in, in my practice and people ask me, I was like, how do I explain what I do? <laughs> so I call it functional sports medicine. So it's sports yeah. medicine, meaning it's allopathic. So when I need to prescribe antibiotics, when I need to prescribe anti-inflammatories, I can. But I also bring a huge functional medicine you know, practice, which is, which is root cause medicine, right? So allopathic mm-hmm. medicine is very symptom-based. And it's, you know, it's like, okay, you have this symptom, take this pill, right? Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. And, and sometimes you need to do that. You know, if someone comes in with, you know, with acute bacterial meningitis, that's not a time for essential oils. Mm. You don't have time for that. You have to fix that problem right now. Someone Get comes in with pneumonia and can't breathe. You need to fix that right now because you don't have time right? But then you can go back and look and say, well, why did they get pneumonia? Why did they get meningitis? You know, and were they sleeping? Were they eating? You know, and, and putting all the functional side together. So I combine both of that when I work with my athletes. It's quite incredible. I, I am blown away. Honestly, I sit here and listen to all your formal training, but also your passion for sport um, from an early age and how you've kept that going. And, and one thing I loved about that is that moment where you took control of your life where you said you know self-responsibility and then suddenly the stars aligned you know suddenly things started happening for you and I mm-hmm. I really love that I, th- I think that's almost the core of where we have to start before we can work on anything else we have to sort of figure out what we want in life who we are and, and then take full control and, and for you that was a real transitioning into all of a sudden all these things opened up and I mean the fact that you've got all these forms of training that you can help preventative, you can help all the way through to, to like you said, if it's symptoms that just need you know a very quick fix, yeah. um, emergency level. That's absolutely no wonder you, you know, used by some of the greatest athletes in the world, um, and and you're working with them. I think it's phenomenal. What what I'd like to do now is just let let's hit some of these things that you know. Let's talk about nutrition a little bit. A lot yeah. of the listeners here are endurance athletes. Uh, that's my background being, you know, professional triathlete for many years. And I know most of the listeners are either age group or professional athletes themselves or trying to just optimize their health and optimize their performance, which are, you know, two two different things, but we try and align them the best we can. So talking about nutrition, mm. um, this <laughs> it's we we seem to have that many different diets and all sorts of fads and things coming at us at a million miles. How are you working with your athletes now in helping guide them through nutrition? Not just maybe, maybe let's talk about navigating uh, COVID as well as, you know, before COVID, but how are you focusing on your athletes with their nutrition? Okay. So, so, you know, a cu- couple of things, right? So when, you know, working with a professional athlete is very glamorous. It's very, you know, good for the ego. 
Okay. <laughs> and it's, it, is, it can be very rewarding, but you got to understand, you know, these athletes, especially the ones I work with, they are like, a, like I always tell the story, right? If you give me a, a Toyota, and again, if Toyota's listening, no offense, I drove one for many, many years. I love your cars. But if you give me a Toyota and you say, make this Toyota go faster, there's so many things I could do, right? I could tweak the engine. I could, you know, change the suspension. I could do so many little things to make it go faster. Okay. Mm. But if you give me a Ferrari that's already maxed out and say, make this go hard, faster, you have to work really hard because the engine's already immaculate, mm. right? Everything about the car is already so good. How do you squeeze out one more percent, right? Mm. And in, a, in, you know, what you can do in, a, in an attempt to try to squeeze out that one percent, you can actually make it worse. And that's the same thing that applies to an athlete. So when you work with a professional athlete, it's very easy to make them uh, hurt or get them hurt or, you know, make them worse, really. So the one area that does, you can actually make a big difference and produce results is through nutrition, through guided nutrition, right? Mm -hmm. And my philosophy with nutrition is nutrition is fuel. You know, I... I've, I've had the privilege of spending time with the Hadza tribe in Tanzania. Uh, I hunter gatherers, the last of the hunter gatherers on the planet, right? And watch animals in the in the wild. And you know, we are so obsessed with you know with the keto diet, carnivore diet, this diet. I mean, <laughs> a horse doesn't wake up and go, you know what? I think I want to try some meat today. You know, a lion doesn't just wake up one day and go, you know, I think I want to be keto right they eat what they've used to eat so my concept when it, my my overarching theme when it comes to nutrition is there is a huge genetic component again when i studied this you know the amount of enzymes in your mouth are determined genetically from your ancestry like me i'm of indian ancestry like we survive on carbs so i have a lot more amylase than someone who's maybe scandinavian okay, who lived on, you know, fatty meat. So our ancestry has a huge impact on our, on, our, on our diets, okay. Now, when I say that, people will be like, oh, yeah, but, you know, my family, you know, had, had this and they all ended up with diabetes and, and strokes and heart attacks, so I don't want to eat what they did. That's not what I'm telling you. What I'm telling you is the basis of the nutrition for me, for an athlete, has a genetic element to it. So I look mm -hmm. at the ancestors. Now, any diet can be ruined by the proportions, by the processing and all that kind of stuff, right? But the ingredients of what made that tribe survive is key. So if you come from a, from a diet that, you know, is rich in carbs, then taking carbs out completely may not be the best option for you, mm -hmm. you know? And similarly, eating a high-fat diet without getting fat and saturating your blood with with cholesterol is if that was what you you your ancestors did successfully then that that probably is going to work with you and and then going vegan and completely avoiding meat may not be the best option right so i'm open to trying out a lot of things and when it comes to nutrition i ask a lot of questions on great grandparents what they did where did they live where did they come from what you know all those kind of things, very, very important to me. And then, of course, now nowadays I can run 
uh, a bunch of tests to see you know what's the best kind of fuel for for an athlete right and mm. and that's my second point is that nutrition is a form of fueling so whatever nut- whatever you put in the body for an athlete what you're trying to do is to fuel competition and to provide the raw ingredients that's necessary to rebuild and repair mm-hmm. okay so if you start there and that's the most basic form of okay concept of nutrition then it it matters if an athlete is during you know peak training the amount of damage they're doing to the body is the highest then you need to tweak it with the amount of protein the source of protein in order to repair adequately right mm. and similarly like for instance antioxidant i get asked this question all the time should i be on an antioxidant well it depends if you are in a training block then not having antioxidants is a good idea because it forces your body to adapt it's called the hormetic effect right whereas if you take antioxidants it's almost like you know there's a story um uh, uh, this is a metaphor right when when a when a caterpillar is around you know becoming a butterfly it's in a cocoon okay mm-hmm. and then you see it break out of the cocoon and it's really struggling okay now that process where it struggles forces liquid to come out of its body which is nutrition to the wings and gives the wings colors okay so when it goes through the struggle it mm. ends up with beautiful colorful wings and you can fly <laughs> if you help it if you break the cocoon while it's doing it it's stunted and it'll probably die okay so the hormetic effect is knowing when to allow suffering to happen for for a greater good and that's what hormetic effects are okay so antioxidants timing of antioxidants for instance it's really important to make sure you take the right antioxidant at the right time for the right reasons you know mm-hmm. it's it's not just a overall you know everyone should be taking antioxidant i don't i just don't believe in that way you know just every all of us are different you know no two individuals are different uh, no two individuals mm-hmm. are the same and even the same individual like i didn't show up exactly the same as i did yesterday i'm a little bit different today mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so having one philosophy like just it's an overarching philosophy then i tweak it to the individual based on genetics based on you know blood work saliva work urine work stool work so you know that's kind of my approach when it comes to nutrition and then in particularly with 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 covid you know i i i put out a uh i think a podcast uh, a while ago and i talked about you know a couple of basic things you know uh to support the immune system you you know a lot of people are, are looking at things to boost the immune system and having seen covid close up first hand having put people on ventilator with covid some what we don't know much about this disease yet but what we do know from what we learned from italy is that one of the problems is the immune system is a bit too aggressive in trying to kill the virus it hurts your it hurts the body and the lungs so you want to support the immune system so this is where you know making sure you get adequate sleep and if that means you know having some carbs before you go to sleep great 
having some healthy fats before you go to sleep, great. You know, supplementing with melatonin during this period just just to make sure you sleep well, great. Checking your vitamin D and making sure it's in a in a safe level, uh, you know, a therapeutic level, is is really important. Mm-hmm. You know, using things like um, fish oil, for instance, if you're you know particularly inflamed, strategically at this time is is very important. So that's how that's kind of my my approach to nutrition, really. I, I think that's fantastic. Just a quick mini break before we get back to the show. I just want to remind you guys to go check out athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. Sign up and get your free 20 daily travel packets with your first order of $79 added value. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. You described at one point, I used to always describe this in our the way in we put a training program together, it was like, you know, I don't train the same as I did last year because this year I'm a year older and I'm a year different. Yeah. My body is physically and so you gotta keep adjusting, you gotta keep moving and you can't you can't just keep doing the same thing over and over again. And and with nutrition, you know, my wife and I both being sort of ex professional athletes and, and we're we're focused now on longevity and health and these things. And so we do do a fair bit of blood work and, and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um and, and monitoring it. But it is interesting to me that, you know, the blood work is somewhat of a, a snapshot in time, you yeah. know, that it, it's very hard to take too much of it. What An interest of mine has been a little bit more of the genetic research and some of the DNA, you know, and trying to really figure out our ancestral health and what makes us tick. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you – I just want to touch on that a little bit more because that's just an interest of mine. Yeah. When you say you do these other tests, what kind of tests are you doing – for this, um, you know, the genetic element of a, of, of a person's nutrition? Uh, you know, I, I, I don't look at genetics on its own, so I look at it as a whole, right? So I start off with generalized blood work. And again, you're absolutely right. If you are not going to get, you know, regular tests to monitor trends, then as a one-off, it's not, you know, it doesn't tell the whole story, mm. you know, unless you, unless you are in a particular disease state, right? But let's say... I see someone and their vitamin D is always low. And we supplement, goes up a little bit, but then it's still low. It's still low. Well, did you know that, you know, there's a whole group of people who cannot, who struggle to convert uh, sunlight to vitamin D genetically? That's me. <laughs> From my DNA test anyway. That yeah. I had a, I had oh. a Dr. Mansoor Muhammad on, on this program. I don't know if you know. Oh, I know Mansoor. Yeah, really good yeah. Canada. Yes, oh so he did God. my whole thing on one of the podcasts here, and uh, he basically said, "Yes, Greg, you you need to stay in sunlight, basically." And uh, it was a, it was a fascinating conversation about all of that. Yeah, yeah. So I I've I've spoken to his team, um, uh, and and used his labs extensively to do a lot of my genetic testing. So you you understand, you know. Um, mm. So like just vitamin D is just one example, right? So similarly, I could look at. Um, a stool sample and see if that person needs digestive enzymes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, if they don't have digestive enzymes, the question is not just replacing it. The question is like, well, why, why are they not making their own digestive enzymes? You know, and you could study that genetically. You could study mm-hmm. tendencies to break down estrogen, for instance, in the, in, the, in, in your detox enzymes. You know, how well can you break down estrogen? Estrogen a high level of estrogen is not just related to cancer, but estrogen can cause significant amount of inflammation in the body. Okay. 
So that, you know, detoxification, so many of the enzymes that uh, break down heavy metals, that break down, you know, uh, carbonated, com- uh, sorry, uh, hydrocarbon compounds are genetically under, the, under, the, under your genetic control, mm. right? So knowing that, you know, so looking at, you know, I look at uh, energy pathways, right? I look at uh, hormones. I look at detoxification. I look at the gut for immunity. And then I look at, you know, uh, uh, neurotransmitters for pain and brain. Okay. And these are the five areas that I run tests on. And I look at the genetics for, for all of those things. That's brilliant. You know, I love that. Like, for instance, if you, you know, that's why I don't believe, like, it's crazy to me that you can all of a sudden tell everyone to drink bulletproof coffee every day. Sorry, I didn't mean to name that, but like a coffee. I know what you mean. It's a, it's almost an expression. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I meant it. Yeah, exactly. It's becoming like Googling something, right? Bulletproof exactly, coffee. exactly. means coffee with MCT oil, okay? Yeah. That you have no idea what someone's genes are. Hmm. And what happens if they are prone to having making a bunch of triglycerides and you pump them full of, you know, MCT oil? Is that a good yeah. thing as a general rule for everybody? No. I, I, I love the, the individual approach here. It's, it's like in, when I was talking to Dr. Mansur, we, we were kind of breaking down. He went through, he'd studied many of the best endurance athletes in the world and and one of the things that came clear to him was that everybody, and myself included, all produced, we were in the top 1% of producing glutathione, mm-hmm. um, which fascinated me because it's it was something, you know, I was taking a product called Glytine um, and, yeah. and he, basically I wasn't sure if I needed to be taking it. You've mentioned that... You, there's a timing and there's a place for antioxidants. Yeah. What, are, what are your thoughts on endurance athletes producing glutathione? Because the other side bit to that was he was saying that these same endurance athletes weren't very good at methylation, so anti-inflammatory type stuff. So he was fascinated by that topic. What are your thoughts on that? Um, you know, I, I totally agree with him. I think, you know, these, you know when, you, when, you, when you label someone as oh, just a naturally gifted long-distance runner, I think they have more glutathione, so they, their antioxidant capacity is higher, right? So their their redox potential, for instance, their mitochondria is better. Um, and also, I think they get, you know, we know now that, you know, your mitochondria has its own DNA, and it gets, that DNA comes predominantly from the mom. So they've inherited really good genes from the mom, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, um, I wasn't aware that, you know, on the flip side, they were also poor methylators because that's becoming such a big thing now that you see it so often that I, 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 I didn't realize that, you know, you, if, you, if you made a lot of glutathione, you, you tended to be a poor methylator. I did not know that. But Well, I th- I, I'm not sure. I think it was coincidental to some degree. Yeah, I, I think, think it was he, yeah, he he was just very surprised when he said, "Look, I thought these were going to be the few things that these endurance athletes would all have in common," and he was kind of like, "Wow." Actually, no, I think I think yeah. endurance athletes you genetically, you know, you you tend to have a bigger antioxidant capacity naturally, mm-hmm. right? You tend to clear lactic acid much much faster, maybe not produce it as much either, and then I they have. Um, the mitochondria generally 
I would guess is, you know, because of the redox potential that we study with all with through Oracle, we do a lot of redox work. And redox work basically, you know, mitochondria takes in oxygen, it spits out ATP. Okay, we know that. But for every, let's say, hundred amount of hundred molecules of oxygen it takes in, and it spits out eight, eight, uh, 98 ATP, it'll spit out two molecules of um, free radical, oxygen free radical. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that ratio, 98 to 2, is the redox potential, mm-hmm. okay? And so someone like you, maybe 98 to 2. So you might be making very little free radicals, whereas someone who's not genetically an endurance runner will produce maybe 70, 30. You know, just these are just arbitrary numbers, just to give you yeah, an idea. Of but then their redox potential will not be as great. So, yeah, I, I totally agree with that, you know. And so someone like you supplementing with additional glutathione may or may not be necessary. You know, mm. I would say that if you were, if you had increased your, your volume significantly and you've done it for a, you know, for a certain period of time and you're starting to see your numbers plateau and you're not seeing the improvement, I think at that point, supplementing with glutathione is a great idea, even for you. Mm. Is there a way of people measuring that to know if, where they are in terms of the the redox potential uh you can measure the redox potential yeah that's what we do in in oracle we measure it's a, it's a very quick blood test but here's what i'll tell you one of the easiest ways to pick that up during training is to monitor your hrv mm, okay and your resting heart rate mm. so you put it all together if you see that you know your power output has stabilized and it's no longer you know the improvement that you're seeing is not as big as it was maybe two weeks ago if you see you know resting heart rate starting to creep up a little bit you see start, start you see either hrv stabilizing or dropping a little bit going on the low side or you see a sudden spike in the hrv and it's like super high all of a sudden one day that reading is not you know oftentimes people who don't know how to interpret that will say oh i think it's just an error for the day well, well not really you know that's just the body slapping on the brakes because you pushed it too hard Mm. you know and so those are those are non-invasive markers that people can use very quickly to see where they are and and again if you put that together with you know okay your sprint your your times are stabilized and they're not getting any better you've plateaued out at that point if you keep pushing really hard you might get into and if you see the performance drop if you see hrv going lower if you see resting heart rate going up then you are in the overreaching phase. Mm. And that's when you really want to put in a rest period. That's when increasing calories strategically, adding, adding uh, you know, um, antioxidants is a, is a great, great place then. Yeah, so that's when you'd add the, the glycine or the glutathione yeah. um, at, at that point. That's a, that's a good way. I mean, I'm all about self-monitoring. I think it's the best way to, to sort of, Keep keep measuring yourself by how you feel and what's going yeah. on. But for HRV, for those people that may not understand, is heart rate variability. Yeah. Um, so it's just a way of determining flux to <laughs> really yeah. heart rate. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we, we've touched on a couple of these supplements. You mentioned them during this sort of COVID time, you know, things that we, you know, might want to be more aware of. Is there a, a general list of supplements that you would say to the you know, the average person out there or even the average athlete out there that they should be having sort of throughout the day? Or is it really, it all comes back to ancestral health and it doesn't matter? 
You know, I think athletes, is, people who are pushing, and, you know, I use the word athlete, athlete broadly, it doesn't just mean professional athletes. If you are pushing the envelope and you are testing the boundaries, then, you know, to me, you know, taking something Nike said, right? Nike's first, uh, first rule is, you know, Nike is for athletes. Rule number two, everyone is an athlete, <laughs> right? So if you can move, you see a child move and there's no reason to believe they're not athletes. So the one thing that I will tell you is that you cannot run low on all the small things, you know, the, the minerals like selenium, manganese, phosphorus, you know, I mean, you won't even know where to get those foods from. So eating a balanced diet should be very good. But if your diet, you know, if the, if the food is, the quality of the food isn't as great and you can't consume it enough because you're spending so much, you're in a catabolic state by training. Mm. I would recommend every athlete to go on a multi-mineral and multivitamin. Mm-hmm. For sure. Do you, would you do like a, a Nutraval type test if, or, or would you just say just, uh, you know, is there a specific brand of multivitamin, multimineral that people should be taking? Uh, I, I, I swap it around. I use a few different ones. Um, yeah. Do you know the, uh, this is going to surprise people, but the, there's one that I really like. It's, it's, it's an essential oil company called doTERRA. Yeah, yeah, of course. They make know a, lot a of really about. good multi-mineral multivitamin with essential oils in it. Interesting. Okay, so like that, that's yeah. something that's really, really good. And here's what they are, you know, then uh, Pure Encapsulation do one that's really good. Clean Athlete do one that's really good. Um, I like swapping them around. I swap, you know, I, I like changing them around every three to four months simply because their profiles are all different, you know. Now, mm. if you really want to know, should you be taking extra stuff, then you should measure it, right? But I'm talking about, okay, if you wake up and you ask me the question and go, I'm, a, I'm an athlete, I push the boundaries, I don't have any money for blood testing, what are the things I should be taking? I would say, like, just get a really good multi-mineral, multi-mineral and multivitamin because you don't want to be low on, 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 on those things. The body just won't mm. work. At that level, yeah. you can't afford to be low on small things. I think recently, well, basically our our kind of diet that we have these days is is we tend to we tend to hit the omega threes, uh, vitamin D. We're obviously pretty aware of um, zinc, vitamin C, mm-hmm. um, and the multis. Um, and like I mentioned, I, I've started recently the last three or four months after having. Uh, Dr. Tommy Wood came on the show. He's a, a researching pediatrics brain brain issues, and uh, and we discussed creatine. Yeah, and creatine was fascinating. Not I always thought of it as an athlete, you know, in power sports, yeah. blah blah, and blasting. And, and I have found that when I've gone to the gym now, I feel like, wow, I can, I really do feel an impact from creatine. Um, but he was actually we were talking about it for for the brain, yeah, cognitive, for, yeah, massive, yeah, massive for concussions and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, fascinating. Yeah. Is that something you know that people should sort of explore a little bit if you're wary of brain or, or or that kind of thing? What are your thoughts on that one? No, my thoughts are if you are if you're an athlete, uh, the dosing, right? So to to build muscle volume, you want to take a higher dose. But but really, like taking one gram twice mm-hmm. a day you know, for, 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 for a stretch of period is actually beneficial for brain health, mm. you know? 
Um, so yeah, but, but the, the, the most dosages are five grams and you can't really absorb from all the literature data that I've seen, you can't really absorb anything more than three grams at a time. Mm. Well, I, I did the typical athlete thing where, where, where Tommy, you know, Dr. Tommy Wood said, you know, take point five grams per kilo body weight or whatever, whatever the amount was. Yeah. I, I'm sorry if I'm getting it wrong right now. And basically, of course, I, I took more than that. And, and I, I found that I, I really became quite puffy. I put on about 10 pounds oh, in two weeks. Yeah, easy. And I was, yeah. I was like, oh, my goodness, I couldn't believe I mean, I went to the gym and was immediately lifting 10 to 20% heavier immediately, but I felt puffy and huge. And, and that water retention around the muscle was just absolutely incredible. So I've, I've learned to now I just sort of take it, you know. Yeah, did, you, <laughs> did, you, did you notice that your speeds went down? Uh, well, to begin with, I'm not super fast anyway. Okay. I, I, I'm a, you know, always have been an endurance athlete. My brother got all the, all the speed. He played professional rugby. I, I, I'm the endurance athlete, but what happened was I, all I do is VO2 work on the treadmill these days and usually uphill. Um, I don't do a lot of ultra distance running or anything like that anymore. I'm just trying to keep youthful. Yeah. Um, but I, I didn't notice speed so much. I just knew that I just felt I could lift heavier. Yeah. That was the biggest thing that I know. And I noticed I hopped on the the scales. I was like, "Whoa!" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> put on weight on yeah. very quickly. Yeah, yeah. The dosing for the brain, you won't. You know, it's it's a, it's a much smaller dose. You don't really see the the the, the muscle filling out at the way it does. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah, but that's like you know talking about that. You know, you know, CBD has been very popular, right? Mm. Yeah, and, what are your thoughts on that? That's a, that's a good topic. To yeah, I'm, chat about. I'm a I'm a huge fan of it. Huge mm. fan of CBD for its anti-inflammatory properties, uh, as well as well as for to help with sleep, with anxiety, you know, uh, pain. Just again has a profound effect on the brain. Mm. You know, the research coming out of a long, it's long time. Mm. I know. I, I, I'm interested to probably explore that a little bit myself going forward. Here, it's it's uh, the research coming out is absolutely incredible. Yeah. What any other kind of uh, supplement? I mean, we've kind of gone over the supplementation a little bit, and I agree that it's kind of hard to to know. But I know that athletes are always keen to know what should they be, you know, figuring. Is there anything else that they they need to be touching on? Um, more recently, for me, it's kind of been focusing on zinc and a few of these other things. Yeah. Um, Although I was eating a ton of um, pumpkin seeds and then uh, my wife was as well. And then she came back and uh, had very high tin levels in her blood. Oh, gosh. And and then we found out that um, that may, maybe these pumpkin seeds are all grown in China yeah, that might have a bit yeah. higher in tin. So <laughs> she's been trying to find anywhere in the world that has pumpkin seeds that aren't grown in China and we don't seem to be able to find Good that. Luck. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> yeah, I know. You grow them yourself, Greg. Yeah. Earlier on, you, you mentioned sleep, travel, jet lag. Yeah. Jet lag's a big one. Yeah. Um, a lot of athletes traveling and everything else. What are your thoughts on, on, on preparing athletes as they travel overseas? Uh, again, you know, be you got to do the basics, right? Right. So if you're traveling, make sure you sleep. This is where, you know, I will even prescribe a small dose of Valium to make sure that they get enough sleep and get over jet lag. Because if you're sleep deprived your immune system is going to take a beating mm. and you're more prone to get sick right but then also preparing um you know for instance i you asked me about another another area of supplements that may may not be you know uh prime time stuff but 
I have been exploring with uh, mushroom mushroom extracts. Mm. You know, reishi mushroom, shaga mushrooms. Yeah, I, I had them as a, I had a Four Sigmatic as a sponsor of this show for quite a while, and I've used all of those mushrooms for five, six years. Okay. Love them. Yeah, yeah. Great, great. First of all, Four Sigmatic, great product. Mm. Right. Mm. If you're looking for a mushroom blend, like go either get it from there or get it from a company called Sir Thrival, S-U-R Thrival. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you look at mushrooms, universally, all the tribes have used them. And they've used them to everything from ad- an adaptogen to help deal with stress, to provide a, a pick-me-up for energy, right? But also mm-hmm. to to calm the brain down, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's, that is a a form of supplement that uh, during these times, you know, to bo- to support the immune system and to give you an energy pickup, I think is a great product to use. Yeah, it's uh, I've been using their chaga mushroom for immunity and uh, cordyceps I've used for years more as the energy boost. Yeah, like energy you said, boost, the, yeah. The, yeah so, the reishi, they have a great chocolate cocoa oh we have before bed. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's so good. So, yeah, so for yeah. instance, like if you're traveling, Make sure you have that with you, mm. right? So that you know it helps. It helps with travel fatigue, but then it also helps you shut down and adapt to the stress, and help you sleep. So I think it's a it's a great addition to anyone who's traveling right now. But then mm. also, if you're an athlete who's going to travel, check your vitamin D levels. You know, and I don't like to take vitamin D blindly because high levels of vitamin D have been proven to be counter-benefit to the immune system. Is that right? Yeah. Of course. Nothing's ever easy, no. is it? <laughs> yeah. It's always a, you know, if it's too low, it doesn't work. If it's too high, it doesn't work. <laughs> Taking everything blindly is not good either, you know? No, no. I mean, I mean, that's the thing. That's where the athletes need someone like you in their corner. So it's like, you know, you can be managing all of this yeah. for them. Um, you know, I mean – a little bit more on sleep um, because I think it's, you know, we should almost be starting any kind of health plan with sleep, <laughs> you know, get that right. Greg, that's like, I call that free medicine. Yeah, free medicine. I like that. Free medicine, I mean, you know. Yeah. Sleep is the ultimate, it is the ulti- it's the ultimate anti-inflammatory. Yeah. I know personally for myself, it's been something I'm working on this last year or two. It's like I've tried – Everything. I tend to sleep very, very well for four or five hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I take uh, magnesium glycinate. Um, I'm about to start adding some threonate, magnesium threonate with that. Yeah. Uh, I have, I went and bought myself a, a chili pad to calm oh, the bed right. down. Yeah. Uh, so I'm doing everything I can, but I do tend to wake up at that sort of 2 a.m., you know, wide awake each morning. Maybe I'm just simply not tired. Um, but I have in the back of my mind, well, hang on, I've got to get seven or eight hours. Um, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> Um, you know, so an average sleep cycle is about 90 minutes, mm-hmm. right? So trying to get about five sleep cycles is, it's, it's, is ideal for you, you know? Mm. And, and a couple of things, as you get older, the amount of time you, sl- you spend in deep sleep goes down mm. and deep sleep is essential for vitality, for, immune support for aging well, for repair, recovery, both physical and mental, right? So this is where I would say, you know, supporting the sleep, like for instance, you know, we know, you know, having a small amount of carbs before bedtime 
helps you sleep deeper. Hmm. I haven't heard that before. Yeah, you know, uh, e- even certain foods that have serotonin, like serotonin-based food products, having them before bed helps you sleep sleep better. Okay, melatonin, and again, I'm not I'm not saying like everybody should go on supplementation, but if you no 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 if you're considering this, melatonin is people really take it you know they they they've heard of it as a something to help you sleep right naturally produced in the body but it's also a master antioxidant hmm. and it helps mitochondria hmm. you know it's it's one of those things that helps increase uh, this molecule called P- pgc1 alpha which helps you make new mitochondria and get rid of the old ones Interesting. Okay. So I like those kind of products. I like to take something that will help me deal with a few things together, right? But again, the things that you mentioned, keeping the room cool or having a cold shower before you go to bed, Mm. cooling the body temperature down, you know, shutting down electronics 90 minutes, two hours before bedtime. Get rid of the blue lights, yeah. Yeah, blue lights. Doing all those things very, very, very simply is is essential. And then, again, uh, you know, it you wanna if you can get hold of like an aura ring or a whoop that, yeah. that allows you to measure things. The one thing I want you to figure out, everyone listening, is what is the length of your average sleep cycle, right? Because this is why, again, you know, to say that everybody needs to drink eight glasses of water. It's ridiculous, <laughs> right? You hear that all the time. Eight glasses of water a day, like wh- why? So if you're 400 pounds, you should be drinking eight glasses. And if you are 100 pounds, you should be drinking eight glasses. It makes no sense, yeah, yeah. right? So the average, you know, seven hours, eight hours, nine hours, it's all based on the average sleep sleep cycle being about 90 minutes, mm. okay? And the circadian rhythm is also under the influence of your genes. Mm. So if you can work out, okay, you know what? You had a good night's sleep and go, man, I slept really good. And then you can go back and look at the data and say, you know what? My average sleep cycle is 60 minutes. So five of those is five hours. This is why some people only need five hours of sleep and they're great. Mm. They are aging beautifully. They are super healthy and they, they get five hours of sleep. And then some people need nine hours. That's that's fascinating to me because I mean I always I try not I try try not to stress out anymore. I'm kind of used to it waking between this one and two o'clock wide awake. Yeah. And I kind of just well, okay. And sometimes I get to go back to sleep a bit later on. Yeah. You know, and sometimes I don't. But Generally, if I do get up and, and just get the day going at that, you know, and I go to bed at 8, 30, 9 o'clock. So in fairness, I'm getting that sort of four or five hours there. Um, I do tend to have a couple of makeup sleeps during the week. So I've started to just look at it as go, let's look at weeks rather than individual nights. Yes. <laughs> and, that, and that takes all the pressure yes. off too. You don't, you don't wake up anxious. You just kind of go, okay, this is going to be one of the shorter nights. Yeah, correct. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. Because you have yeah. a whole week to adjust it, right? Mm-hmm. Why? Why does one night make a difference? Are you Are you working with your athletes on their their mental strategies? Do you Are you working as a on the mindfulness um, practices, grounding, I, I, breathing? I don't because most of my athletes have 
their psychologist or their person that they go to. And I am very particular about not crossing boundaries. Of course. But it is, it is essential. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you know, the, uh, the, you know, I was, I was trying to, you know, when I first got into mindfulness, I was trying to like, what is this stuff? You know, what is this mindfulness stuff? Like, I don't get it, you know? And someone explained to me so simply, he said, you know, when you have a thought come into your mind and then you react on the thought in between that time, it comes into your mind and the time you react to it as a gap. Okay. And he goes, that gap is mindfulness. And you, the bigger the gap, the more mindful you are. And I was like, huh, really? And it, it, made, it made a lot of sense, you know, because it helps calm the system down, you know. And I would rather, but I don't, I don't work in mindfulness with them that way, but I would give them strategies like box breathing. Yes. Box yeah. breathing, I think, is one of those hidden gems that, that everybody should do every night, like even a couple of times a day. And the, yeah, basically, basic, can I explain box breathing for those that don't yeah, understand? Yeah. Or, or you maybe maybe you do it. Let me hear on your turn. Oh, okay. So the way I do it is, okay, so <clears throat> imagine a square, right? So on the right-hand side, you're going to go up. So you take a breath in for a count of five, okay? Mm-hmm. At the top of that count, five, you hold your breath for a count of five. That's a line going vertically across. Mm-hmm. Then you breathe out for a count of five. That's a line going all the way down. Okay, and then at five, you stop breathing out and you hold your breath for a count of five. Now you come back and you, you, you complete the square, okay? The key thing to that is, when I, I didn't realize this because I was just not smart enough to figure it out and when they first told me, is that you don't necessarily have to breathe all the way out. You just have to breathe out to count of five. You don't have to breathe out everything by count everything. of five. That's not, <laughs> so you take a big breath in, hold for five, Breathe out for five, hold for five. And you repeat that for five cycles. And what that does, if you ever if you ever put a heart rate monitor on you and see it, you'll see your heart rate starting to come down. Mm. It, it's, uh, it affects that heart rate variability as well. Significantly, yes. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think uh, when I had uh, Bryce Wild on the show, um, I'm not sure if you're friends with Bryce, but no. also, also functional medicine. Um, he basically described it. Look, there's more there's more nerves going from the heart to the brain than there is from the brain to the heart. Yeah, uh, and you can probably tell me this far more, but I'm quoting him. And basically, if you can get that heart variability, then that's going to actually calm the brain down. And uh, I'm getting it all confused. I'm sorry. If no, I'm, no, no, no. You're right. Quoting, you, but, you want yeah. the traffic to go the other way. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, and breathing that way also has a profound effect on the gut for digestion mm-hmm. and all those kind of things because you're affecting the parasympathetic nervous system, which is which is rest and digest, right? The sympathetic nervous system people are familiar with as that's your fright and flight. Mm-hmm. Right? Parasympathetic is rest and digest. Most of us in today's world are sympathetic dominant, meaning meaning we are more likely to be firing on fright and flight. Okay. Mm. Doing the, and and you do Brock's breathing because it's so easy to do. You could do it in the sauna. You could do it in at a traffic light. You could do it before you go to bed. Like you could do this multiple times, mm. you know, and I have cues. Like when I say, 
Traffic light, I box breathe. If I'm alone in the car, I box breathe during traffic light. That's fantastic. You know what I mean? Like it's a, it's a very simple cue. I was like, okay, yeah. yeah, let me just box breathe until the light changes. <laughs> so you're not one of those people picking up their mobile phone and writing texts. You're actually doing something. No, sometimes good I do. To. Like I don't do with every text, every traffic light, but I will, in a journey. Yeah, yeah. Usually, like if you know, in a journey, I will at some point, you know, because I'm not. If I'm talking all the way through, then yeah, I can't do it. But usually, driving there, driving back. I for sure will do it at some point. And then I do it before I go to bed. I do it definitely when I'm in the sauna. You know, it's a- Talking, very- you've, mentioned sa- you've mentioned sauna. Let, let's talk about some of those environmental things, factors that we can do, like whether that's hot and cold treatment. Are you a big advocate on doing a fair bit of that? Yeah, completely, yes. So sauna, uh, again, comes down to the quality of sauna, but saunas using heat has has multiple effects, right? One is it it allows you to- um, um, develop the hormetic effect of, of a harsh weather, right? And that's good for, for the body in short bursts, right? Mm. The other thing is it helps, you know, if you use a uh, full-spectrum uh, infrared sauna, meaning using light or uh, the heat, the, the, the waves inside it affects the full spectrum of light uh, or generates a full spectrum of light, then that helps helps you detoxify the body. It also helps your mitochondria work a little bit better. Okay. And then finally, the the act of actually sweating is one way to get rid of heavy metals. So like cadmium, for instance, it's, it's preferentially uh, excreted through sweat. Okay. So saunas have been around. Again, if it's been around for a long time and survived the test of time, Chances are it's beneficial. <laughs> yes. It's very simple. Like that's my screening test, right? I'm like, wait, <laughs> the Turkish have been doing saunas for how long? You know? Okay. And the Finns. Ceremonies yeah. are done in in you know in with heated stones and people are in sweat lodges for how long? It's gotta be some benefit to that, right? Otherwise you would you would you would have gone away a long time ago. And then on the other side, cold, which I actually think in today's world is more important than the heat. Mm-hmm. I agree. Cold, full immersion, cold mm-hmm. is unbelievably, like that's another form of free medicine that just you cannot afford to give that up. An ice bath done correctly, and I mean by that is you're getting your body into ice and you don't want to hold your breath. You don't want to go in there go, you want to breathe in and out, naturally go in there, get your body adjusted to the cold, and then do at least 15 seconds where your head is completely immersed. Hmm. And if you can do that for, you know, seven, eight minutes, oh my goodness. Trust me, your sleep will be better, your joints will be better, your skin will be better, your brain will be better. If you're hearing this and you're a CEO, uh, you know, going for a big meeting, Try doing that. Try getting into a cold ice bath, you know, ideally around, you know, 50 degrees, 47 degrees better. And then waking up and going to a meeting. I'm telling you, you will be so alert. It'll be shocking. It's amazing when you actually do do this, you know, for my own self 
experimentation. So as athletes back, you know, a long time ago, we had different protocols for doing ice baths yeah. and everything else. But as a non-athlete or, you know, well, like you said, we're all athletes now, but basically as somebody looking at longevity and health, um, I started getting back in the ice bath at the end of last year. Mm-hmm. And it was, I I wasn't in fairness doing the full immersion. I was, I was just, um, you know, up to my neck. But, neck yeah. That's okay. But, but, but doing, you know, I was in there for 15 minutes, bringing down the body temperature. And the way it affected my mood, the way suddenly everything seemed possible. It was it was almost like your story early on of, of reading reading the, the the book, the power of um, positive. you know positive thinking. It almost gives you that kind of a a kickstart where everything seems possible, and it affects your mood. It affects the way things are. And, I mean, it's 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 not comfortable, like you said. You got to work on breathing yeah. through it. <laughs> oh, so but one I one of the breathing techniques there is just to box breathe throughout the entire seven minutes. Mm-hmm. Mm. How, how are you doing it? Do you have an ice bath at home, or do you just grab a couple of bags of ice and no, throw them in a bathtub? Couple of bags of ice. Uh, you know, in I'm I'm we are in the process of building a home, and I, I plan to put in a, a tub in there. Mm. You know where where. It'll, it'll it'll be regulated heat and cold but yeah I, it's to me it's one of those things that as you get older you definitely want to do this i agree i i've read that you know tony robbins you know the great motivation oh, speaker he that he is. 20 years ago yeah he says he has a really cold shower or ice bath before jumping up on stage every time he goes out 100 percent. you know 100 yeah. it, it's 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 if you don't do it you're giving up a huge edge isn't that amazing? And and would you do hot cold on the in the same kind of time, or do you separate hot you do after a physical workout, or when when do you when are you doing these? So I would use uh, like I don't do them. I don't. I you know I'm just not convinced that I need to do it that way. So the way I do it is I would use the sauna like after a workout. Okay, mm. and then yeah. I'll I'll use the cold usually at the end of the day for recovery mm-hmm. you know so if you're working late and you're finishing a session then yeah then you could do sauna for 10 minutes come out do another 10 minutes of sauna and then come out fully done then you can get the ice bath gotcha yeah but i keep them separate i don't i don't alternate you know some people do it if you're having a cold shower that's one thing but to have a 47 degree ice bath it's a dedicated process it is. <laughs> you have to it, you know. And again, yeah, I think part of it is you just know you're going to suffer, right? So it, part of it is just getting into the bath. And once you get into it, after the first 40 seconds, it's not that bad. It's not. It really isn't. It isn't. I, yeah. And, I mean, I would I say probably two before, minutes, but. <laughs> yeah. But the first, the thought of doing it, you're like, oh, God. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know. I'm much the same. It's not that that great, but it isn't that long, and it is worth worth doing it. Move, moving just on a little bit, I know I've taken a bit of your time, but working in the ER mm. as a physician, you're working with professional athletes. You, I mean, during this COVID time, especially, how are you looking after your own health and being able to keep keep going as you know, because the ER, are you working all sorts of hours? Are you called up at random times? And, uh, and how has your own health impacted with all of this? Yeah, you know, I've been, you know, uh, well, first of all, thanks for asking. But it, it's 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 been, you know, a blessed. Like I've not been sick for a long time. Uh, and 
And I will tell you fundamentally, like ER shifts are typically 10 to 12 hours and they can be anything from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. or 11 a.m. to 11 p.m. I don't do overnights now as, as uh, I made a conscious decision that I'm not willing to give to, to work mm. when I should be sleeping. Uh, I've paid my dues. So I, I'm like, okay, you know what? I've done enough night shifts to last me a lifetime. I don't need to do anymore. Mm. But a couple of things, right? Not No compromise. Like this is not subject to negotiations. If I make less money, if I have to turn down deals or whatever or take on another client, it doesn't matter. But I will not compromise on my sleep. Mm-hmm. Okay, no matter what, I will get at least seven hours of sleep. That's my five cycles, okay? Mm-hmm. then. Since COVID has started, I do one mile a day. Like every day I run a mile. Sometimes I'll run more, but I will, at at the bare minimum, I promise myself I'm going to run one mile. And part of that is just, it's a very slow, it's not fast, but it just forces me to mobilize my joints, mobilize my lactic acid, get my body a, a flush that it needs to keep everything ticking over, right? Mm. And then as rule number three, I don't have my my heaviest meal is during lunchtime and then my evening meals are super light. Mm. And in particular, you know, again, this just came up. uh, uh, My girlfriend, Sarah, she makes makes this salad that is with spinach, mixed greens, she puts uh, mushrooms in there that she fries. She cooks in the uh, oven fry, the uh, uh, the fryer. What's it called? Air fryer. Uh, then she puts blueberries in there, and then she has a little bit of tomatoes, and then she puts. Uh, she makes a balsamic vinegar dressing. So I have a big salad in the evening every day. Okay, and then before I go to bed, uh, you probably know this. You know. Um, What's that company? It's called Gold Golden Milk. Golden Milk. Yeah. No, I've I, I, I I'm unaware of it. Oh my god! It's uh, come to me in a second. But it's basically a a concoction of coconut milk, uh, turmeric, ginger. Oh, of course. Yeah. Uh, Turmeric could make it the golden. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah. a little bit of honey. Okay. Yeah. And. I have that before I go to bed. Interesting. So my my thoughts are that I'm going to sleep, and because I haven't had you know a significant t- amount of calories between my lunch and my dinner, that I want to give something that allows my immune system fuel through the night because that's when it's working, right? And then I supplement nowadays with a uh, multi multivitamin, multi mineral. I'm not taking vitamin D because I know my levels are good. Okay. And then I'm, you know, this particular time now I'm on a, I'm on, I take two things. One is uh phosphatidyl serine, which helps deal with, uh, support the adrenals. Okay. So I do that first thing in the morning, but I also, uh, are you familiar with a adaptogen called TNG? No. So it's a company called TNG, T-I-A-N. And then uh, space CHI. Okay. okay, I think Amazon has it. I buy directly from those guys, um, and it's it's a blend of about twenty different adaptogens and Chinese herbs that helps support adaptogens. For those who don't know what it is, 
is is like the word says it helps you adapt okay so if you look at every ancient tribe whether it's is the the siberian people with their ginseng or the the korean people with the ginseng or the chinese or the inca tribe with their maca or the the indian people the asian indian people with the ashwagandha every ancient tribe has had a herb that helps the tribe survive stressful periods whether it's 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 uh, labor and pregnancy or whether it's surviving uh, a famine or whether it's surviving a war or or their warriors had to go out on a, on a big hunt and cannot come back for weeks on end they've always had it okay and so adaptogens help you adapt with stress so if it's super high stress it helps you bring it down in the body and if it's if it's low it can help you pick it up and give you a little bit of an energy boost you be aroused so this mm. particular brand tng i like it because their herbs are really well thought out and i know the company well the guy who's created it it's got a chinese medicine base uh, background to himself uh, and so i i i I pour that in a glass of water and I let it sit overnight. And first thing in the morning, I stir it up and I drink it, I chug it down and I don't eat or drink anything for 40 minutes, 45 minutes. Hmm. Okay? So those things I take religiously during this particular time and I'll cycle in and out of them. So I might do it for 6 weeks, give it 2 weeks off and then cycle it back again. The other thing is if I've had a particularly busy shift and I'm I'm pretty wired, you know, seeing things that, you know, just tough, then I would use either melatonin or CBD or a combination of both because you can get them now. Most a lot of the CBD companies have put melatonin in their products uh to help with sleep as well. So again, everything I can do to keep myself moving. Oh, and the other thing is on on days when i i'm 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 off i make sure that we are out in the morning sun and getting natural sunlight mm i love all of that that was absolutely fantastic i think the the theory of trying to just run 1 mile a day my wife and i have a theory that we got from our father-in-law who's 79 and still a mad triathlete um wow. but basically the the theory is something's better than nothing yeah, right? right and 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 i think sometimes we we set these grandiose you know plans and training pro- programs and everything else and you know quite often for my wife and i if if time's restricted we we have two young kids yeah. and everything it's like you know what maybe it's just to walk with the kids down to the end of the street pack, but it, just get out <laughs> you yeah. know get yeah. outside get because you know especially in the er you know i'm i'm you know there's a lot of sitting there's not you know there's a lot of quick walking here and there but you haven't really moved all your joints. Yeah, yeah. I often get up, you know, uh right before these podcasts or right after and I just, you know, do sort of 10 or 20 sort of standing squats, yeah. you know, hands above my head and do do a few squats just to get the blood yeah. flowing again. Yeah, joint flowing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Now, I want to finish up on one area. Um your involvement with uh childhood obesity. Um you've had done some work in in that area, I believe? Uh no, that's a that's that's a passion area of mine you know um it's an area that i'll be doing more and more work in um uh, mm. it's really like if you look at your life and you plan it in a way that you think okay what you know when i when i'm dead what what do i want the world to know about me mm. um it's not all the work i've done with the athletes you know as great as that is and as rewarding and as satisfying as it is 
I want to be known to have done work in the space of childhood obesity. Because to me, Greg, sending a probe to Mars, having self-driving cars, sending you know people to the moon and back, it's all great. But if if a nine-year-old is having type two diabetes, mm. and an average lifespan of the future generation is going to shrink. And by the time you're 30, you're having to have hip and knee replacements because you're overweight, which is not as unfathomable as it may sound. Then how have we as a generation progressed? Mm. If that's what you're going to leave the other generation with, you know, whether it's processed foods or, you know, just not moving, then how will we progress? So that's that's really a, a goal of mine, you know, uh, this this second stage of my life, there will be a lot more work done in that space. Well, let me know how I can help you with that yeah, because thanks. I think uh, I think all of us, you know, especially I think this COVID-19 has been a bit of a slap in the face for the world yeah, to some degree, right. just talking metabolic health. Um, and as Bryce Wilde said on the show, you know, the, the real pandemic is metabolic health. Um, and obviously COVID's pandemic, but but the underlying what what's going on in this world. And, and I don't think there's much things as a past athlete and, and you see a young child that is, you know, already dealing with obesity. Yeah. It, it, and if the thing is it's frightening. Obesity yeah. is it's not their fault. Of course it's not their fault. Children, of course they it's they don't know any better. And and honestly, to some degree, yeah. It's not all the parents' no, fault either. It, 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 there's a societal effect here right. where it, it's it, it's become very cost-effective for families to eat, you know, Correct. processed carbohydrates Correct. and 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 foods that it, Correct. you know, and and so it, it's really education. It, yeah, it's government it's support is made uh, yeah. as 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 a lot to answer for this. If you mm. if you make you know bell peppers so expensive and cheap nasty food so eat so cheap and and mm. you can get it in huge amounts and a, a family has not enough money like what what are they going to buy of course you of know? course the yep. question is like why are healthy food so expensive and so on yeah and, and why are we supporting you know the the corn industry or yes. the soy industry yes. or, uh, you know all of these things that are i know it's it really becomes a there's a political component yeah. to it. There's an educational component. Yeah. There, there's so many layers. Yeah, and here. that's why when people say like, "How are you going to tackle it? Is it through diet?" I'm like, "It's it's all of it." Kids are not moving as much as they used. To. No. You know? no, schools are having to put vending machines in there, selling selling you know uh, soda and and you know those kind of stuff simply because that's how they get funded to do sports. Like it's it's so ironic to me. Yeah. Well, mate, if there's anything, if you ever want to reach out and, you know, we can, we can talk about that. I think we could do a whole show on how we want to change the world and the, the attitude um, well, and how do we help yeah. the next generation. I'm, I'm here to help. So uh, it's uh, fantastic. You, 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 this is out in the air now, so you can't even take it back. <laughs> I don't want to take <laughs> it back, but mate, this has been absolutely brilliant. And, and it really has been an honor and a thrill to have you like, on the show. Thank you and, so much for having me. Yeah. Yeah, share your story. Absolutely fantastic. You have a book out called Lose Weight and Feel Great Forever. It's uh, something that everybody should have a read. It's got some great, great stories in there. And, and um, 
I think it's uh, they can buy that on Amazon or yeah, on your website. Um, I'll have a link to all of that. Everything that you've talked about, I'll, I'll have in show notes, um, so people can find those show notes, the links, and everything to what you've talked about. It they can go to bennettendurance.com forward slash media. Yeah. We'll have all that information. But Dr. Ara Sapaya, thank you so much for joining me, mate. Really appreciate it. Greg, thank you for having me, bud. All right, stay on the line. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks a lot for listening to Be With Champions. If you enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Be With Champions Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.